Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fuglesang. Whew. Welcome to it. 866-997-4748. That is how you join the love fest. That is Tell Me Everything. Chris Hauselt is running this thing from the South Carolina Bureau. We are so glad to have you with us. We got a good one tonight. Our good friend, Dr. Jason Nichols, is here to uh, talk about, well, how Joe Biden may have been right to say that MAGA Republicans are a threat to our democracy, but only because they are. Also, Julie Roginski is going to join us later in the show. I'm really thrilled to have this lady join us. She is hosting a new podcast that, um, well, it's all about women who are tired of taking shit from mediocre men, more or less. It's called Retaliation. And what's interesting is she talks to all these women who have, like, spoken truth to power and paid a terrible price. Like a woman who worked for Harvey Weinstein or Bridget Kelly, who worked under Chris Christie. Now, Julie Roginsky's had an amazing life. She was born in Moscow. Her family was allowed to leave Russia when she was a kid. She lived in Europe and then came over here. You might know her name because she was a character in the movie Bombshell. Roger Ailes famously offered her on airtime for sex. And uh, she had to eventually sign an NDA. She and Gretchen Carlson are big crusaders against NDAs in the workplace. And because of her NDA, she couldn't tell her story. So this movie comes out, right? Like Nicole Kidman was in this movie. All these actresses were in this movie, Bombshell, about the women Roger Ailes harassed. And she's literally sitting there in the theater watching an actress play her, watching someone else telling her story while she, who all this happened to, wasn't legally allowed to tell her story. <laughs> so anyone who's been a character in a film about how evil Roger Ailes is, e either her or Russell Crowe, uh, more than welcome here. And her podcast is totally fascinating. And of course, as always, our most important guest is you guys. We're at 866-997-4748. A lot of ground to cover on tonight's show. A couple of announcements. The next and final Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour show will be um, this Saturday, the 22nd of October in Los Angeles at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. It's going to be a big party. Rob Reiner will be a special guest. Congressman Adam Schiff will be a special guest. More celebrity people. Last time we did it, Martin Sheen came on stage there. Yeah. Ted Lou as well. Stephanie Miller, Hal Sparks, Frangela Ming. It's going to be really funny. We had a dynamite show in Chicago over the weekend with a great crowd. So do come on down. Tickets are at sexyliberal.com. I think all the VIP meet and greets are sold out, but there's lots of good seats. It's going to be the biggest party. And the great thing about this show is it's like going to a concert of a band you really love. 
And you look around the room and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in a room full of people who listen to the same kind of music I listen to. Except this is about morality. <laughs> you can be in a theater with a thousand people, everyone's vaxxed, everyone's wearing masks, and realize, oh my God, there's no red hats here. There's no one here who wants to put a woman in jail for body autonomy. There's no one here who wants to continue the drug war. It's really kind of fun. It's, well, I said, the show's sort of like the blue collar comedy tour for smart people. So do come on down. In the meantime, Michael Cohen will be on our show this Friday. Chris and I recorded with him today. Uh, I've met Michael before. I did his podcast about a year ago. And two weeks ago, I get a text on my phone like, hey, man, we, we got to hang out. And I'm like, who is this? For, who is this person? And, you know, like if you're like me, you're terrible with names. And so I get texts all the time from people saying, hey, man, how you doing? How, how's, how's your kid? And I'm like, oh, who is this? What show did I work with you on? What school did I go with you to before one of us was thrown out? So I just, you know, I write back, oh, I'm doing good. How are you? And you try to get some more information. I got nothing. Then the phone rings and it's this number and it's Michael Cohen calling me at home. I don't know how he got my number. And he's like, hey, I really want to come on. I'm like, oh, okay, I got a book coming out. I said, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Well, I really want to come back on your show. I'm like, you never came on in the first place a year ago, Mike, but we'll, we'll, we'll have you. So today it actually happened. Chris, he did not hold back. Uh, we went deep on a lot of stuff. Chris and I talked about like good questions to ask, like Trump family members and abortions. Like we tried to think of like the questions that MSNBC is too polite to ask. So uh, it's fascinating. It's going to air this Friday. I hope you listen to it. Also, uh, apparently William Shatter is going to be coming back here. So get excited for that. Uh, Hurricane Ian has intensified to a category three. It's going to be category four by tonight. They are reporting catastrophic winds and storm surges headed for the Florida Peninsula. It's going to make landfall by tomorrow morning as a category four surge warning is in effect for, well, where everybody lives, uh, the whole coastline, Tampa Bay, Fort Myers, Naples, Port Charlotte, Sarasota, St. Petersburg. The highest storm surge risk is actually from Naples to Sarasota, a really beautiful part of our country. Please, everyone there, please do whatever you have to do to be safe. Check on your neighbors, check on pets, climate change. Sea level rise is making these things happen. Surge-related flooding is going to become more severe. And as our oceans become a little bit warmer, you will see more hurricanes. Sea levels have risen by about nine inches in St. Petersburg since 1947. So <laughs> that's a reality. But I, I want to I begin tonight by talking about something um, I haven't heard too much about on the news. And I, I want to start by uh, giving you the number of your Congress. Okay, the House of Representatives phone number is uh, 202-224-3121. I'll repeat at the end, but you might want to have that in your device anyway, because why not have it? Why not call? You're paying their salary. Give them a Yelp review, but on the phone. 202-224-3121. It'll come in handy. Also, you can just email your reps if you go to house.gov slash representatives. And you can find your own representative. Send whatever kind of... Uh, note you want to send. Um, because right now we have six members in the House of Representatives who don't vote. Congressmen and women who are non-voting members. That's a thing. Washington, D.C., they're taxed, but they're not represented. I should write that down. American Samoa, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. They're all represented by a delegate who serves a two-year term, like a congressperson. Puerto Rico has a resident commissioner, who is elected every four years. So keep that in mind, because this story begins in 1830 with Andrew Jackson 
Donald Trump's favorite president, hung his portrait on the wall, and made the Native Indian code talkers from World War II stand underneath the portrait when he gave them a medal. You might have noticed that was dickish, because Andrew Jackson was a wealthy slave owner and a heroically evil Indian killer. The Cherokee gave him the nickname Sharp Knife. Andrew Jackson killed women and children. He was directly responsible for just hideous deaths of tens of thousands of indigenous people, starting with the Creek War in 1813. He was responsible for the deaths of thousands of people uh, of Muscogee Creek. He led armies, mostly of Tennessee volunteers, and they just waged war against non-combatants, women and children, slaughtered them, ethnic cleansing. So he became our seventh president. He's on your $20 bill. We tried to get Harriet Tubman on there, but Donald Trump shut that down. So um, Andrew Jackson, once he became president, decided he was going to really get rid of the Indians and move them out west. And he actively fought for the Indian Removal Act to Congress. And it was ratified in 1830. And what it did was essentially legalize ethnic cleansing right here. This is a story that takes place today, but I have to give this information first. So Jackson used the U.S. Army to force tribes who wouldn't leave and left them no choice but to journey through what we call the Trail of Tears. Um, this was uh, what led to the Treaty of New Dakota in 1835 between U.S. government officials and members of the Cherokee Nation, where they kicked the Cherokees out of their territory east of the Mississippi River in a mass exodus. Chief John Ross was the chief of the Cherokee. He was only one-eighth Cherokee, but he was the boss. He was at the forefront of everything concerning the tribe. And with his counselors, he wrote a constitution for the Cherokee trying to establish an independent nation of Cherokee that was held as an equal to the U.S., Big surprise, our government would not recognize this, so they forced them out, reluctantly. And, and again, the government tried to find ways to force them to the West because the Cherokees held out. So they did this treaty, the Treaty of New Echota. The U.S. rounded up about 500 Cherokee civilians who didn't want to fight, and they said, hey, here's five million bucks, and we're going to give you land in the Indian Territory. Now, a lot of Cherokee didn't like this deal. They didn't want to leave, but 20 of them signed the treaty. And so Congress signed the Treaty of New Echota into law in May of 1836. They didn't all want it, but 20 of them signed it. So that began the Trail of Tears for the Cherokee, these forced displacements. It was ultimately about 60,000 First Nations people from what it was called the Five Civilized Tribes. It took 20 years to do it. It was Indian removal. It was ethnic cleansing. It took a long time. Within seven years, 46,000 people were taken from their homes east of the Mississippi. And this gave 25 million acres of land to slavery and white settlement, according to PBS. Andrew Jackson said, It gives me pleasure to announce to Congress that the benevolent policy of the government steadily pursued for nearly 30 years in relation to the removal of the Indians beyond the white settlements is approaching to a happy consummation. They had a two-year grace period to clear out. And by the end of the two years, Jackson was gone and most of the Cherokee had stayed. So President Martin Van Buren, first president from New York, uh, he sent General Winfield Scott to lead the military to lock up the remaining Cherokee. About 15,000, they were put in concentration camps, and they would release them like 800 to 1,000 people at a time. And they'd say, you ready to walk now? And these people were very weakened by being locked up, but they had no choice but to travel through the Trail of Tears, which was essentially walking through the winter for six months starting in October of 1838. Very little food, water, no supplies. And as was the plan, their numbers got smaller. People were starving. People were getting sick. People were getting dehydrated. 
and thousands of them died. Most of the Cherokees took the northern route. They were given some wagons by the government, but the snow was so heavy that they couldn't get the wagons to roll. The elderly, the women, the children had to walk through the snow between the Ohio and Mississippi rivers and cross the rivers. Over 4,000 of the 15,000 Indians died from hunger, disease. In the Cherokee language, they call it Nunadal Tsuni, the trail where they cried. Now, during these negotiations to get the Cherokee to do this, I mentioned before the U.S. government promised $5 million for your land. They didn't pay it. And the Cherokee survivors who didn't die had to rebuild their whole new life from scratch. The money they were promised never came. Not until years later, when the Cherokee survivors filed all these petitions, and they finally got it many years later. But there's a lesser-known provision of this same treaty that I will tell you I didn't even know about until recently. And it also granted the Cherokee Nation one delegate in the U.S. House of Representatives whenever Congress shall make provision for the same. You follow that? The same treaty that led the Cherokee to the Trail of Tears also said one of the things we promised was the Cherokee Nation could be represented by a congressional delegate. And now, in 2022, the Cherokee Nation is renewing a campaign to have that representation in our Congress. And they are calling on our government to honor this treaty that our government made almost 200 years ago. Cherokee Nation is the largest tribal nation. They have a whole new campaign to try to get a non-voting delegate in the U.S. House, just like D.C. has, like Puerto Rico has. They put out a video last week, and they demanded that Congress seat this delegate because the right is stipulated by the 1835 treaty. Again, <laughs> this was the whole deal. A minority group of Cherokee leaders who claimed to represent the tribe. It was iffy, but the Cherokees all had to leave, and this was promised to them. So... <laughs> About a quarter of their population died. But in exchange for their homelands, they were promised the five million they had to wait decades to get. And now they're trying to finally, finally, after 200 years of waiting, get this position filled. Here's a little bit of the video that the Cherokee Nation released last week. In 1835, the government of the United States and the Cherokee Nation signed the Treaty of New Echota which forced our ancestors to give up their homelands and move west on the Trail of Tears. Today, people remember that dark chapter in our nation's history, where one quarter of the Cherokee Nation population perished. But they may not know that the same treaty promise that was used to remove the Cherokee Nation also guaranteed the tribe a right to send a delegate to Congress December 1835, treaty signed. There's a graphic. May 1836, ratified by the Senate. For two centuries, signed into law Congress by Congress has failed to honor that promise. However, the Treaty of New Echota has no expiration date. The obligation to seat a Cherokee Nation delegate is as binding today as it was in 1835. In 2019, I nominated Kim Teehee as Cherokee Nation's first ever delegate. She's a former White House senior policy advisor for Native American Affairs and has extensive experience working in the halls of Congress. She'll be a strong and effective advocate for all Native Americans. Thank you, Chris. The video is about three minutes long and you should watch it. But that the voice you heard was Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. Uh, talking about Kim Teehee. And if Ms. Teehee were to be seated, she would be able to give House speeches on the floor. She could vote in committees, but she'd never have the ability to vote on final legislation. 
that's all they're asking. And the Cherokee Nation's delegate, again, is something that's never happened before. So think about it. I mean, it would be just like these other non-voting members of Congress. Article 5 of the Treaty of New Echota also said, The United States hereby covenant and agree that the lands ceded to the Cherokee Nation in the foregoing article shall, in no future time without their consent, be included within the territorial limits or jurisdiction of any state or territory. Like, <laughs> we broke every promise. And again, according to the tribal government, the House of Representatives has to take action to officially seat a delegate. Seat was promised to them in 1835, and this House can vote to approve it. Now, think about this, because they probably only have until about New Year's Eve, if indeed there will be a GOP-controlled House of Representatives as of January 1st. Now, they're optimistic about having support. The Native American tribes of Cherokee and Navajo are the biggest, an enrollment of about 400,000 each. This is a deep moral thing that we should be able to get conservatives to agree on. This honors the atrocious, inhuman sacrifice their ancestors were forced to make. And the Cherokee Nation is pushing for some kind of vote on the floor. By this December, spokespeople for Nancy Pelosi have said she supports tribal sovereignty. Congressional leaders have not announced any decision if and when Ms. Teehee could be seated. You can follow the Cherokee Nation on Twitter at Cherokee Nation, or you can tell your member of Congress to seat the Cherokee Nation delegate. Just go to house.gov and you can send a note about it and just tell whoever your Congress person is, I want you to seat the Cherokee Nation delegate, honor the Treaty of 1835. Or if you want to see a real cool petition, go to www.cherokeedelegate.com. It's a really moving story. And it's the sort of thing that should be very easy to do. And to me, and maybe I'm just naive, again, I'm not an optimist, I'm a recovering cynic, but this seems like the sort of profoundly moral thing. We could get conservatives and progressives together and make it happen. Again, the number of your Congress is 202-224-3121. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back with the great Julie Roginski in just a moment. This is Sirius XM. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Everything. Again, our conversation with humanitarian Michael Cohen will premiere this coming Friday. If you missed our recent interviews with Ken Burns or Julian Lennon or any of the authors we've had on, you can always hear those on the app, On Demand, or the John Fugelsang podcast. Our next guest 
is um, someone who's been praised many times for a number of remarkable reasons. Julie Raginsky is a, a political strategist. Uh, she's a commentator, uh, an activist, um, a great broadcaster. With Gretchen Carlson and Diana Falzone, she co-founded Lift Our Voices, which is an organization dedicated to destroying the laws and business practices that keep employees from publicly discussing and disclosing toxic workplace conditions, meaning NDAs. We already talked about her incredible history of being someone who sued Roger Ailes and Fox News, um, and then suddenly she became a character in a movie, Bombshell. She was played by Anna O'Reilly in the film, and she had to have the experience of not being able to tell her story, but watching an actor on screen tell her story. She's also had some fascinating times working for uh, the campaign of Phil Murphy, but now her podcast, Retaliation with Julie Roginski, is Something, if you're looking for a podcast that's going to be informative, but inspire you and get you fired up in the best possible ways, this whole show is focused on the stories of women who have spoken truth to power and have been punished for it. And it's about praising them for the achievement. It's about brave individuals who've been castigated instead of celebrated, and it's setting the record straight. This woman's been a character in a film about how evil Roger Ailes was. It is a great pleasure to welcome Julie Baginski to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. That was such a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm going to I want to talk about the podcast, but I, I have to get to your life at some point. I mean, you growing up in Russia, there's just so much. But I, I want to start about this because I, I love the idea behind this, that that you're getting together women like Bridget Kelly from from Bridgegate, um, women like Zelda Perkins, who was an assistant to Harvey Weinstein, women who either couldn't tell their story or they weren't believed and more or less giving them a chance to tell their story and set the record straight. Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating about these stories is not so much what happened, because what happened is, is fairly well known, right? Zelda Perkins was an assistant to Harvey Weinstein, and she, um, her story is being told. It was told in a, in a book by, by Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor from The New York Times. There's not going to be a movie, she said, coming out in a couple of weeks about what happened to her. But what nobody really talks about with these women, and I'm using Zelda as an example, is really the price they paid for doing the right thing and coming forward. And they're, they're very often celebrated, right? But when the media moves on and attention focuses elsewhere, as it inevitably mm -hmm. does, uh, these women face horrible blowback from perpetrators and allies of perpetrators and their careers are destroyed. Right. Sometimes they're suicidal because their entire life has been turned upside down. Their personal life has been turned upside down. I mean, Bridget Kelly, author of that famous Time for Some Traffic Problems in Fort Lee email that we all talked about about mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And then everybody kind of forgot about that shutdown of the George Washington Bridge, that big scandal of Chris Christie's governorship. So nobody ever really asked Bridget Kelly what happened to her after she sent that email, that famous yeah. Time for Some Traffic Problem email. And you might be surprised to hear that her entire life, her personal life was absolutely destroyed. Her professional life was destroyed. She was scapegoated, whether you believe that what she did was right or wrong. The price that she suffered as a woman was incomparably worse. I mean, so much worse than the price that her male uh, alleged co-conspirator suffered. I mean, she was slut shamed in a taxpayer funded yeah. um, report by the Christie administration. And it goes on and on and on. And so when you hear these women's stories, you realize that they are they went through hell and back. But at the end, every single one that I've spoken to has become an inspirational character in one way or another, seeing the worst possible things that could happen to them happen. And each of them has found meaning in life in one way or another after going through 
what none of us should ever have to experience. And I just think those stories are never told. They're never celebrated. They're never focused on. The media always moves on after the scandal is over. And But nobody ever really talks about these women. And it's time somebody told their story. So I thought, what the hell? Nobody else is doing it. It might as well be me. I'm so glad you, you said that because I always thought about Bridget Kelly. You, you don't need to approve of what happened in the in the Bridgegate scandal to recognize that it's not just one scandal. And when all those parties were involved, none of the men took a fall, did they? I mean, Chris Christie ran for president and now gets a very nice paycheck for being a commentator on ABC News. It was all placed on one woman. Well, she did have a co um, she, she did have a co-defendant in that federal trial. Um, yeah. Three people were one one pled guilty and cooperated against the other. But really, three people went down legally for the Bridget scandal, two men and one woman. The difference mm-hmm. between Bridget Kelly and the two men, both of whom also went through hell, is that if you read what was said about Bridget Kelly from the yeah. podium of the governor's office to the very highly paid Randy Mastro, um, a very highly paid attorney that the Christie administration hired to do, quote unquote, an independent investigation. Of course, they're never independent. Somebody's paying for them to, to have a, right. a predisposed outcome. But Bridget Kelly's personal life was dissected. Her mental state was dissected. She was portrayed as a love-scorned teenager, effectively. This is a 40-something-year-old mother of four children who effectively, it was implied, shut down the George Washington Bridge to impress her boyfriend's not even the word, to impress a man that she was having a a short-term relationship with. The man, by the way, happened to be Bill Stepien, um, who then went on to run Donald Trump's presidential campaign. And, you know, psychoanalyzed, slut-shamed, without anybody ever talking to either Bridget Kelly or Bill Stepien to find out whether any of it was true. Yeah. (laughs) And and that report cost $13 million of taxpayer money. So you think about that, this is a woman who's raising four young children at the time. Her kids had to read this stuff. Her parents had to read this stuff. Her children have to live with this the rest of her life. Nobody cared. And you're right, there were the other defendants, but their personal lives weren't dissected and used against them professionally the way Bridget never. Kelly's was. Yeah, never. I mean, with, with Zelda Perkins, you know, it's easy to think that we know all the details about Harvey Weinstein because we were paying attention in 2017. But it seems like it's finally, you're creating a place where it's safe for the major players to finally come out and, you know, control the narrative a bit. What surprised you when you sat down to talk to Zelda Perkins? Well, you know, Zelda Perkins is is such a courageous figure because Zelda Perkins really talk about making lemonade out of lemons. Zelda Perkins was 24 years old and she didn't even go, her career didn't go down the drain because of anything Harvey Weinstein did to her, although he did harass her. Where this all came to a head with Zelda Perkins is at the age of 24, she had the wherewithal as an assistant to one of the most powerful men in Hollywood to go to him and scream at him and accuse him of sexually assaulting her 22-year-old colleague. Yeah. And for that, all she asked was that Harvey Weinstein go to therapy. All she asked was that there be some sort of accountability. She went to find lawyers in London to, to help her accomplish this. The lawyers laughed at her and said, "Who the hell? essentially, who the hell do you think you are mm-hmm. to take down this man? And Harvey Weinstein proceeded to be the Harvey Weinstein that we all read about for another two decades. What happened to Zelda, Ber- Zelda Perkins is, she was driven out of the business, as so many of these women are. She went down to South America to effectively raise or train um, horses. And what's fascinating about her is, of course, she felt 
virtually suicidal, as did Bridget Kelly, as so many of these women did who spend their life, even though Zelda Perkins' career was relatively short at that time, putting everything they have into their job when they sacrifice their personal life, their family life, everything else for their job, and suddenly that's taken away from them because they've done the right thing and they've spoken up. What ends up happening to, to Zelda Perkins, what surprised me about her is, is just how strong she is because what Zelda Perkins effectively did is she broke open the Harvey Weinstein story because she was the first to show the reporters from the New York Times who, who broke the Weinstein story, the NDA that she had. And it proves exactly. that Harvey Weinstein was sub- silencing and subjugating all these women, not just sexually, but also subjecting them to an entirely horrible silencing mechanism where they were deathly afraid that if they said anything, one of the most powerful men in Hollywood, whose studio at that point or production company at that point was owned by Disney, which of course is Disney. That's right. The most, one of the most powerful companies in the world. Disney, they were worried that they were going to be sued into oblivion, that their lives were going to be destroyed by this incredibly powerful entity and this incredibly powerful man. She had the courage and the wherewithal to say, screw it, I'm going to actually break the NDA and share it with these reporters. And that's how so many other women were able to come forward. And that's how so many other women were able to show that they had these silencing mechanisms that created a massive culture of silence that protected the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. And this is, you know, this is the same kind of, of silencing mechanism that so many powerful people use all across the world to silence women, and not just women, men as well, basically silence yeah. survivors and protect predators at their expense. So what she did was an incredibly brave thing, especially because she was all alone. And more importantly, she started an organization called Can't Buy My Silence. Um, they're making tremendous headway in Great Britain. They're making tremendous headway in Ireland and in Canada and getting rid of these silencing mechanisms. She's really an immensely inspirational woman. But again, talk about making the best out of an absolutely awful, tragic situation that lasted for two decades. Her career and her life effectively put on hold for two decades. I must say, I, I so admire the work that you're doing with Gretchen Carlson to try to raise awareness of workplace NDAs. It seems to me this is another one of those issues that you'd think we could get progressives and conservatives together to find some common ground. What does the average American need to understand about NDAs in the workplace? Well, I think the average American needs to understand that when you're asked to sign an NDA, be very sure about what you're signing. Because I've signed two NDAs in my life. One was as a result of my settlement with Fox after, as you mentioned, I sued Roger Ailes and Fox News for sexual harassment and retaliation. That NDA precludes me from talking about anything that happened to me effectively. So you mentioned um, a movie called Bombshell that came out about Gretchen Carlson's story and my story and a bunch of other women's of Fox story. I can't tell you anything about whether that movie's accurate or not. And it's very bizarre to watch somebody play you on the big screen and realize that you can't comment to anybody in the world about whether your portrayal is accurate or not. You know, I, I can't tell you anything. And, I mean, but that's the, the, okay. I, can I just say the, the level of irony there? Like you've been played by an actress in a movie, but you can't tell your story even though she could. And I want to see a movie about you seeing an actress play you because that story is so incredible that others can tell your story, but you legally can't. Well, that's, you know, the irony of that, as you said, is, is incredibly thick because Here's a story about women speaking up, but yet the women who spoke up can't tell you whether that story is accurate or not, or port- they're portrayed accurately or not. And, and I actually saw Bombshell 
flying to LA. Um, it was a very turbulent flight. Somebody gave me a, a, a basically this movie. I'm watching it on my laptop. <laughs> it's kind of going. It's kind of going in and out. And there's a there's a kind of overweight guy sitting next to me, kind of crowding me a little bit. And I'm watching this movie. And I'm, <laughs> the expression on my face. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is one of the most surreal experiences of my life, where the movie's kind of flickering as you know as the wi-fi and the plane kind of goes up and down but but look you know the the problem with these ndas that, that people have to understand is it's not really always always as a result of a financial settlement which you have lawyers hopefully that that, that can walk you through it a lot of these ndas and a third of all american workers are bound by ndas but but most of these yeah. ndas are actually imposed on the first day of work and what people think is okay i'm signing some sort of document that says that I can't disclose proprietary information like the secret formula to Coca-Cola, exactly. for example. And the reality is that's not at all what you're signing. Most often you're signing a document that says you can't discuss anything that you saw, witnessed that happened to you, happened to anybody else from the moment you set foot in this company or this organization in perpetuity until you die. And what that typically means is that if you're harassed or you're discriminated against or you're assaulted or any other horrible violation of your rights occurs, or you witness that happening to somebody else, you can't say anything about it to anybody, which means that the perpetrator gets to have this meat grinder of people that he or she cycles through. You leave the job because ultimately you probably can't take it. You can't tell your prospective employer, the next one, why you left the job. That's right. You have to say, I can't tell you. Nobody's going to hire you if you say, I can't explain why I left my last job. It looks like you did something wrong. And so, you know, that's so important because when people talk about helping women achieve equal pay for equal work, or they talk about sexual harassment in the workplace, the Me Too movement, all of that, getting rid of NDAs and forced arbitration really are the two silver bullets to getting rid of toxicity because- guess what? If I can't tell you anything about what happens to me at work or what I see at work, I can't tell you if I make the same as you, which means that the guy sitting in the cubby next to you who's doing the exact same job that you are may be making twice what you're making, but you guys can't share that information with each other legally because you have NDAs. So how do you know, right? So that's how you get equal pay for equal work. The minute we start airing these kinds of issues publicly among workers and talking about it is how we start addressing these issues. But Right now, what we're basically doing is preventing any of this from coming to light because companies have figured out over the last 30 years that the best way to keep workers down is to keep them silenced. And that's, you know, that's professionally awful. It's morally awful. It's psychologically devastating. Uh, you know, again, I, 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 I think about somebody like Azelda Perkins or, or I think about other women that I've interviewed for this podcast. Virtually well, all of me- them said that they, they truly contemplated suicide. Because they felt so alone. They felt so, they couldn't speak to anybody. I mean, literally, they couldn't speak to their, to their, to their priest, to their rabbi, to, to, to their psychiatrist, to nobody. And they can speak think about you. living with something like that. Think about living with Harvey Weinstein in your head, knowing that this predator is out there probably doing this to so many other women. You could speak mm-hmm. up and say something and potentially stop him if you were to shout from the rooftops that this man is sexually assaulting women who work for him or in his orbit, and yet you can't because you're deathly afraid that if you do, you're going to be sued into oblivion for telling the truth because you signed a non-disclosure agreement. 
Think about what that does to you psychologically over the course of 20 Julie, years. this is why I, I think it's so amazing what you've done, because you're someone who's taken the adversity that you were faced with, and we haven't even had time to get into your parents' dissidents from Soviet Union or your time with, with Governor Phil Murphy. I'd like to have you back to tell that story sometime as well. Oh, that that's, that's, all that's, a, that's the best story of all, yes. Oh, let me tell you, I researched <laughs> yeah. that story all day, but you have so much we didn't even have time to get to, and I'm so looking forward to asking you about it. So please come back again. Anytime. I want to tell everyone. Oh, my pleasure. Listen Thank to you. The, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you? You know, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Julie Raginsky or Retaliation Pod for the for That's the right. podcast. But please do listen to yeah. the podcast. It's called Retaliation. We launched it a couple of weeks ago. We have a great episode with Bridget Kelly, who we mentioned coming up this week. And uh, follow me on Twitter. And I so appreciate you having me on to talk about this. John. Really, really important. I hope you'll come back so because you. we've only scratched the surface on your story. The podcast is great. It's really, really inspiring. And I can't wait to see who you have in uh, future weeks. Julie, thank you so very it. much. We got to hit Thanks a break. So we'll be right back. Thank you with your calls at 866-997-4748. Don't go away. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We're going to get to your calls at 866-997-4748. Really quick, I've been wanting to play this. Elizabeth Warren. Well, she went on the TV to explain what exactly is the difference between the Democratic Party and the GOP when it comes to the issue of abortion access. This is the difference, though, between Democrats and Republicans. And that is that Republicans, if they have the power, are going to put a nationwide abortion ban in place. Uh, Keep in mind, Mike Pence was saying, yay, keep this going. Uh, And that's just become clear with this latest bill that's been introduced. Democrats, if we've got the votes, are going to make Roe versus Wade the law of the land, which is what the majority of Americans want. And by the way, what all those Supreme Court justices who, when they came in for their hearings, when they were nominees and held up their hand and swore that Roe versus Wade was settled law and there was no reason to disturb settled law. That's what they said at the time, or certainly tried to imply to the American people, was going to continue to be the law. There we go. Nancy calling from Cincinnati. Welcome. Thanks for your patience on hold. Hi, John. Hi, this is Hi. Nancy. Hi, um, Nancy. I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for playing Dolly Parton to, to bring me in. And okay. I heard a little bit of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren as well. I appreciated that. Um, thank you. I just wanted to point out one, one thought. You were talking a lot about the devolution of uh, into name-calling 
into, you know, the terminology we use. I, I, I think that it's worthwhile to, to take a step back and look at it more as, instead of uh, devolution into name-calling, into more of marketing, right, for the, for the Democrats. Um, I'm fully supportive of all of their policies. I think some of it has to do with meeting people in the middle of where they're at, and a lot of it is, and, and I hate to say it, is, is from a marketing perspective. So you have to look at it as how do you get it into smaller phrases quicker so that people yeah. can uh, absorb. And um, I'll give you an instance. Right now I'm seeing a lot of uh, ads in Cincinnati about taxing Tim Ryan, quote-unquote, and to the point where they're putting it on YouTube and my 15-year-old is seeing it. And it's, hmm. it's concerning to me that the Republicans are able to get to that point where they're actually getting it into the face of Gen Z. Gen Z is objectively just not accepting it, but still, I feel like right. they're remembering it. So one of the things that I wanted to point out is that they can start pulling something together against Vance to say, you know, just start calling him Vicodin Vance. Do something that <laughs> yeah. puts it in your memory to say this is what he's really for. And I'm 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 for big pharma. I know a lot of people aren't, but I actually work in pharmaceuticals and I think we're doing a lot of good. He unfortunately was just using the situation, using the opioid epidemic as um, political points, yeah. A way as to yeah, to score political points. So that's that's all I wanted to point out was that maybe we could start seeing it as better marketing as opposed to uh, lowering our standards. Well, you I know? think you're right, but to I, some to some degree, Nancy, and I agree with you. I think that what Joe Biden was doing in that speech, where he said the phrase "semi-fascist," was marketing because when you watch the whole speech, yeah. it is very much a political speech. It's a warning, and he was telling the truth, and we have to be wary of this. But the speech was built to try to peel off moderate Republicans away from yeah. the MAGA Republicans. That was what the whole speech was about, because no one yeah. knows how far the Republicans are veering into fascism more than the actual Republicans who are still Republicans and not fascists. And, you know, I mean, my God, in New York State, we talk to so many of them all the time. I I speak to people who are heads of the Heritage Foundation who say privately how dismayed they are at what's happened to their party. So I do think that what you saw was Biden doing some very, very astute marketing by trying to create a greater schism between the Republicans who are merely wrong about stuff and the Republicans who are batshit violent. No, and I'm supportive of that. I think you're right. I think Biden's doing the best he can, and, and he's doing really well with it. I think that the you know anyone on the state level for Democrats needs to refocus their attention and maybe start talking and speaking to that, right? Speaking you're to right. more of the marketing versus the idea that we're above this. And, and I don't I, – I agree with the whole when they go low, we go high. But like I think you've said before, you, you can't – I it just doesn't work all the time, I would argue. Correct. Um, I, would, I really think you're right. need to think about the marketing for it. So that's my yeah. point. And also, you know, it's a question of discretion, knowing when to get your hands dirty and when not to. Because let's be honest, voters of both parties want to see a fighter. Ron DeSantis yeah. understands that. He just thinks fight is bullying someone weaker than you. But, you know, right. Democrats want to see someone who's going to get in there and not be a John Kerry pinata. So, you know, we, we want the fire, but we also don't want to see someone acting like a like Trump and just being, a, a, you know, an insult comic. No, and we need the fire in Ohio right now is what I would argue. So. Amen. Thank you so much for the call, Nancy. Please keep in touch. Call in more often. Thank you so much. Sila in Texas. How are you? Hey, John. 
Hi. I really loved your the beginning of your show tonight, and uh, I want to speak to that. But I wanted to tell you, I'm brought to you tonight by Bruce Banner Strain and Libra Rules. But besides Bruce Banner Strain, okay, people who know what Seal is talking about know what Seal is talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, they they do. Um, Anyway, beside Bill, stay safe. Been through a few hurricanes. And what you need is weed, water, snacks, dog food. And you need a Buick LeSabre to sleep in to listen to (laughs) XM. I think he's got the, I think he's got the first part of your checklist taken care of. Uh, when, at, during Katrina and Rita back in the day, I had Sirius XM, and I slept in my car because I had no power, and um, it it kept me alive. But what I really wanted to talk about was um, the beginning of your show about the Trail of Tears, and Please. my great grandma was a full First Nation from North Carolina. Uh, mm. Georgia coast. Um, my grandpa looked like a First Nation man, but he his dad was a colonizer. Um, okay. She couldn't tell her story until um, a while after when she settled and she found the Cushetta Nation Indian women who governed their community while the guys were out uh, hunting, whatever, doing treaties and spying on the colonizers. So I have a, like my, in my heart and I know seriously in my soul that, um, you know, I I have a thing. I have a thing. I'm like a weirdo. I'm like a weirdo outside person. I love to be outside. I love, bugs and snakes and shit and stuff like that but i want only because i want to understand the land where i live and Mm -hmm. i live very rurally i have 15 acres and i just recently discovered that up the road for me um this really nice house and i should have thought this before um (laughs) was a slave it was the slave master's house and oh, I wow. grew up on a cotton, I, I grew up in, in Louisiana on a cotton um, farm, and I have mm-hmm. friends who, you know, anyway, all of that, but anyway, I've been researching a lot of the stuff, and the only way you can find something good is if you find someone's dissertation, their college, college dissertation, right? Um, and it goes into great de- detail, and it's so interesting, and wow. if people wonder about their their backgrounds and everything. You know, look a look a little, look a little, and you'll find it. But down here in the south, you know, I mm-hmm. just want to know. And so maybe you know, I'm guessing because it's only like a half a mile from the master's house that right. people that lived on the property. I have 15 acres. The people that lived on this property were slaves. I had, you know, wow. I mean, seriously. Well, so anyway, la- it's mm-hmm. really great, and I love researching it, but I want to thank That's you amazing. for bringing that up tonight. Well, thank you. I'm really yep. glad you appreciated it. And uh, how about that Bruce Banner, huh? Boy, those gamma rays will turn you into all kinds of things. Thank you so much, Sheila. Let me go, if I may, to uh, Bruce in California. Bruce, thanks so much for your patience. You're on Sirius XM. Oh, how's it going? Hey, hey. I, um, you know, if <laughs> I'm going to talk about fascism, so I'm yeah, okay. sorry Hit about me. that. Yeah. Okay. No, um, 
you know, if these Republicans don't want to be called semi-fascist, maybe they shouldn't be so uh, giddy over to the prime minister of Italy. The new prime minister. Yeah, and I mean, maybe they also shouldn't. Maybe they also shouldn't attack anti-fascism. You know, if you don't want people to think you're fascist, don't tell me how those anti-fascists are the bad guys. Because uh, either you're anti-fascist and uh, anti-violence, or you're not. It's pretty simple. Yeah, it's just amazing. This lady is whack. I mean, I mean, she's just what she's the poster child for the Republican Party. Everything they love. No. I know. It's really true. I mean, but we'll see. Again, she doesn't have the kind of stranglehold on power that Uncle Benito had. She doesn't have the kind of, if you will, popular mandate that Benito had. This is a person who is talking a good game about the EU, but now she's going to have to work with the EU. She's going to have to deliver for her people and the thing they don't want to hear compromise you can't have real functioning government without compromise the republicans here keep proving it and you know again if she doesn't deliver it's not going to matter how right-wing she is those italians will get her party out of power quick they know how to do it exactly yeah thank you thank you have a great evening we gotta hit a break or chris is going to yell at me again quick break we'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748 try to get one more call in but really quick uh seth in california thanks for your patience hi john hi so i wanted to talk about the rhetoric out of uh was it marco rubio or or what's his name out of uh, texas they were talking Mm -hmm. about just the impeachment that they're going to try to do with with biden yes it's very kind of reason yeah yeah and and i actually think it's a good thing for the democrats and i actually think that what biden should do is not even bother to show up not mount a defense nothing because you can't actually impeach i mean you can get it might be impeached but yeah. they can't you know evict them from the office unless i get to get 70 percent. i think yeah 66 or 70 percent. and happen. you know what but, and you know what it, and who knows if they actually will because these are republicans they're telling people that they'll impeach him for votes now what do republicans really feel about the promises they make to the conservative white people who vote for them you know, if it doesn't help them, they won't. If they're scared, they will. But either way, they don't care how they're going to look in history. And if they impeach Biden, it'll be purely punitive. And that'll be their legacy. And, and Well, not only will it be their legacy, but actually, I think, you know, at the end of the day, 8 million Republicans didn't vote for Trump and they voted for Biden or they didn't vote. And there's enough of them out there that they're tired of all this nonsense. They want their party back of conservative, non-tax-paying asses that want to screw yes. over every other race that's yes. what they want back the and, wrong people you know, are tired of the psychotic people yes you're talking about mitch mcconnell i mean you're talking about liz cheney you're talking about a lot of republicans who are actual republicans who are appalled by maga but but they're cowards and they can't let go of the maga vote yep but the maga vote's getting smaller and smaller and smaller it, it really is and so a third of our country is fucking crazy I mean, That's I, how it I, always I, is. One third of us would kill yeah. one third of us while the other third of us watched. I've got to run, Seth, but I thank you so much for the call. Quick reminder, SiriusXM is carrying the Weather Channel's live coverage on Hurricane Ian on Channel 134. Round the clock for anybody who's interested. Channel 134 for the latest updates on this terrible storm that has already knocked out all power to 11 million souls in Cuba. 
I'm John Fiegel saying, hey, what a show. Man, thank you to Julie Reginsky and the Retaliation Podcast. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back tomorrow on Sirius XM. Our guests over the next weeks include William Shatner and Michael Cohen. I know, basically the same guy. Thank you.